And we're in a series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And specifically, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not weird, okay? We think that, you know, God is the mean one, Jesus is the nice one, and the Holy Spirit's the weird one. That's not how it works. And I want to get y'all used to hearing the name Holy Spirit. They all share the same personality. In the Trinity, they have different parts. They do different things, but they share the same personality. Their personality is the fruit of the Spirit, okay? We have a memory verse, Galatians 5.22. Read it good and strong. Ready? Go. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. Does that sound weird to you at all? If you met somebody that had all of that fruit in their life, would you think, man, they're weird? No, they're not, right? So sometimes we put, if you meet anybody that's weird and they say they're full of the Spirit, they're not full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of a weird spirit, okay? Um, If someone's prophesying over you, right, and if they're rude, it's not from God because love is not rude and God is love. Do you you understand? And um, it's very important that you realize that these are great qualities that the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus all have, and the only way you're going to get it is to go to the person that has it. It comes from the Holy Spirit. You have to spend time with the Holy Spirit for this fruit to be produced in your life. It comes in as a seed when you give your heart to Jesus, but just like any fruit, it starts the seed, turns into a tree. It takes seasons and seasons to grow. John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. When you have an intimate relationship with me, this is what you produce. It's very easy to tell if somebody has spent time with Jesus that day because the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of their life. Um, So the title of today's sermon, and I told you that with each fruit, I'm adding a little word to make it more interesting. Last week was uniting in love. Today for your notes is this, non-circumstantial joy. Non-circumstantial joy. Out of all the fruit, I believe the one that we are deceived the most into thinking has to do with our circumstances is joy. Uh, Remember, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not the fruit of our circumstances. So if this fruit comes from the Holy Spirit, it means it doesn't matter what anyone else says or does. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter if you're having to pay taxes or you got COVID or whatever's going on with your boss. It matters if you're spending time with the Holy Spirit. Joy does not come from anywhere but the Holy Spirit himself. You can have all the money in the world and not have joy. You can have all your circumstances perfect and not have joy. King David, king, I said King David, he had money, prestige, power, wealth, and women. He had everything that you would think you would want to be happy, and he still battled discouragement. Psalm 42, 11, he talked to himself. He said, why are you cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in God. That tells me that money doesn't bring joy, popularity doesn't bring joy, prestige doesn't bring joy. It has to come from God. And this fruit is produced in our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And before we get into our three points, the thing I want you to think about for the next 30 minutes is this. Each one of these fruit help us with a different area of life. Love helps us in our relationships. We talked about it last week, right? Uh, Love is not rude, it's patient, it's kind, it forgives, it's not self-seeking. That's all relationships. Self-control, you might say, helps us with sin, right? Helps us to run from temptation and say no to the wrong things. Well, joy has a specific duty in our life. It does something for us. You need joy, and here's why. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Today is holy to God. Do not be sad or depressed, because the joy of the Lord is is where you get your strength from. So I would dare um, argue 
that the first attack of the enemy is not against your health, it's not against your finances, it's not against your relationships. I believe the first attack of the enemy this minute we wake up in the morning is to steal our joy. Because if we don't have the joy, then we will not be able to withstand all the other attacks that we face throughout the day. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? He can send any demon your way if you don't have joy because you don't have strength to pray. You don't have strength to go forward. You don't have strength to be faithful. You don't have strength to have a good attitude. Joy and strength go together hand in hand. And so my goal for these three points, I'm going to give you two of the points are actually natural things that you can do biblically to produce supernatural joy. But at the same time, I want some of y'all to learn how to relax a little bit in your Christian walk. Some of you are a little bit too uptight. Some of you are a little bit too serious, okay? Um, I want you to take your relationship with God serious, but when it comes to life, I need you to relax a little bit. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to enjoy serving God. I'm not telling you to go out and sin, but I am telling you not to be such a stick in the mud all the time, okay? So three points, and I want you to think about this. You know the first miracle that Jesus did the first recorded miracle, I'm sorry, that he did, was at a party, and it was producing alcohol. Now, I'm not telling none of y'all to drink, okay? We just got done with our Christians with Addiction series. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying sometimes our theology can be so messed up that we think we got to be serious all the time, and we got to always be perfect, and we have to be so, you know, uptight and religious. That's not what a relationship is like. That's more of religion. A relationship you want to enjoy, you want to have fun, you want to enjoy serving God, spending time with Jesus, right? Okay, so three points. Point number one for your notes is this, smile. Smile. And I know at first it's going to sound like it's just a little happy-go-lucky thing, but we're going to get serious in a little bit. But smile, okay? It says in uh, Proverbs 15, 13, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face. Your face should show what's going on inside of your heart. Psalms 144.15, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Do you know that God is so concerned with our facial expressions, he mentions it 53 times in the Bible. 53 times he tells us that our countenance should show that God is our God. Uh, Yale University did a study. And they found out that the greatest way that one person can influence another person, the greatest influence we have, they studied um, attitudes, they studied looks, they studied personalities, they studied IQs. After extensive research, they said that the single most powerful influence that one person has over another is their smile. They went on to say this. They said that the smile of a friend has more impact than a $5,000 bonus. When I read that, I went outside and I smiled at the landscapers. I smiled at our teachers. I smiled twice at Trisha. I said, here's your Christmas bonus as well. <laughs> Isaiah 64, 5 says this, the Lord meets those who are happy when they obey. Listen, if there's ever a people that should be happy, and if there's ever a time we should be happy, it's when we're in church serving God. What a horrible witness is it for us to be sour and negative at the same time we're serving Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and don't get mad at me, but over the past 15 years of ministry, 16, 18, whatever it is, I've had probably once every three months I have somebody in church come up to me and say, a pastor is so-and-so mad at me? And I'll say, what, what do you mean are they mad? They, they, I think so-and-so's mad at me. I said, well, if they're mad at you, they'll come to you and talk to you about it. It's our core value. They're, I don't think they're mad at you. Why would you think that? And they'll always say this. Because of the way she was looking at me in church today. 
It's always a she, too, by the way. It's never, it, they, I've never heard somebody say, he was just giving me such a dirty look. Never that. It's always a she. I did some research, and it's something called a resting, what is that word? When I saw it somewhere. I have it in my notes somewhere. I can't. Resting something. Anyway, it, it's where your facial expression just looks so mean and hateful. If Jesus is in your heart, you need to let your face know about it. Um, you know, standing up here with the microphone and talking to my, my peers every week, it's a very vulnerable thing to do. And one thing I learned, and I learned it almost 20 years ago, is to always focus on the people who smile. Do you know I could probably make a list of everybody in church who smiles the whole time I'm up here. I can also make a list of everybody in the church while I'm preaching who has a resting, what is that word? Psalms 1, second service, they'll know what that word is. Psalms 126.2 says, When the Lord brought us back to Jerusalem, our mouths were filled with laughter. Then other nations said, The Lord has done great things for them. How did they know the Lord had done great things for them? They saw it on their face. They saw it on their face. What an incredible witness it is to people that God has blessed us by our facial expressions. Man, people come to church and they, they're negative, they're sour, they complain. We had this couple a few years ago, they came and, and, you know, people, they love to give us reviews if there's something they don't like. So if you like it, please give us a good review. But they gave us a review online and, um, and they said they loved the service, everything was great. But now sometimes when I'm teaching, um, I don't take time to learn certain difficult words in the Bible because it's not pertinent to the story. If it's pertinent to what I'm trying to say, I'll learn it. Otherwise, I'm not going to spend my time learning some hard word. I'll forget it an hour later. You'll forget it an hour later. So I just read through and I'll just say, you know, hard word and keep going. Well, they didn't like that at all. And so they gave us one star and they said this, the pastor was too playful and didn't take the time to learn how to pronounce the Bible names correctly. Really? That's what upset you so bad you had to let the whole world know that I couldn't pronounce a name in the Bible. They left their names on the bottom of the review. Their names were Andy and Lynn. Hard word. I can't pronounce the last name. But anyway, <laughs> Job 8.21 says, God will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with joyful shouting. Now, how many of you have actually shouted joyfully this past week? It's something we're called to do. I read this too. Simply hearing other people's laughter reduces pain in your body. When I read that, whenever my kids were real little, and we were always, always outside laughing, cutting up, just playing. Even now they're older and when we come together, we laugh so hard. We fall out of our chairs laughing. We love to laugh in our house. But when they were little, we had this neighbor, a husband and wife. They were an older couple. And the husband was blind, and he suffered from horrible arthritis, other different things he was going through. He ended up passing away. But every day when me and the kids were outside playing after school, the wife would lead her husband outside by the hand, sit him in a chair right next to our yard so he could just sit there and listen to me and my kids play and laugh and have fun. She would bake us brownies and cookies. She'd say the best time of his entire day is when he gets to sit outside and hear us laugh and have fun. I read that a common denominator in all centennials is that they love to laugh. You know, Cindy Raff, is she, in her? she laughs all the time. She's always, isn't she? That's why we put her at the front door. We don't want some of y'all sour-faced, resting, what is that word? We want Cindy Raff at the door. And she looks great for 103 years old. She looks so good. Listen, even when you're reading the Bible, she's laughing right now. That's the kind of people I want around. When 
you're reading the Bible, you don't even need to take the Bible so serious all the time. And you read something, you tell somebody, here's what they need to do, and da da da. Even the Bible can be fun. One time, this man Hanan in the Bible, his dad died and he became leader. And so King David sent some servants to go and console him with his father's death. Well, Hanan thought that David sent servants to spy. So he captured David's servants, and in 2 Samuel 10.4, it says that he took David's servants, shaved off half of their beard, and cut off their clothes in the middle around their buttocks and sent them on their way. That's funny. I don't care who you are. You see some man running away with half a beard and his butt hanging out his jeans, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. Psalms 2.4, God sits in the heavens and laughs. And this is referring to when enemies try to think they can overcome God. But the point is, is God created laughter. Do you ever think about that? I, I, I imagine what it's going to be like when you get to heaven and you hear the creator of the universe laugh. That's going to blow some of y'all's mind. So now let's get a little bit serious. In the Old Testament, there was this group of people called uh, the Slingers. Uh, not to be confused with the Swingers. That was a totally separate group of people. And so what the Slingers would do is they were professional stone throwers. And they used catapults and slingshots, and they would climb up a, a wall, an enemy wall, or someone they wanted to attack, and they would cast stones into their well. Once the well was full of stones, the people in the city who they wanted to attack, their water would drop, and after two weeks, they wouldn't have what they need to have their strength to fight against the enemy, and they'd be easy prey. Do you see the analogy I'm making? Okay, 2 Kings 3.25, the slingers beat down city walls, and cast stones into springs of water. It's the same parallel with us today. Everyone in this room who's saved has a well on the inside, supernatural well filled with joy and peace. It's our key to victory in life. It's the Holy Spirit on the inside. John 7, 38 says this, From your innermost being shall flow streams of living water. When Jesus met the woman at the well in John 4, 14, he said this, Whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but the water I give will be a well springing up within him eternal life. So there's a supernatural well on the inside of us, right? Okay, the same parallel today with the slingers. Somebody comes into your life, the enemy does something, there's an attack, somebody offends you, you get angry, you're bitter, you're vengeful. Instead of letting it go, we allow these stones to clog up our well. And we don't have the joy that we need to face the attacks that we're continuing to face because we live in a fallen world. Protect your well at all costs. The world news can be stones in your well. Uh, sometimes social media can be stones in your well. Gossip, slander, it's stones in your well. Strife, stones in your well. Do you understand so how do we draw from this well? And I noticed this word is misspelled before we even put it up. So hopefully we're going to record the next service. Isaiah 12, 3 says this, With great, let's see, with great joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So here's my question. What if we lost our joy? What if the way to dip into this well the Holy Spirit has put inside of us what if we allowed the stones to get in from the slingers and now we don't have joy to draw from all this victory on the inside? What are we going to do? Genesis 26, 15 says, All the wells which were dug in the days of Abraham, the Philistines had stopped them up with stones and dirt. And Satan does the same thing to us. Genesis 26, 18 says, Isaac cleaned out the wells of water which had been dug in the days of Abraham that the Philistines had stopped up. So listen, 
Are there things you and I can do in the natural that affect us supernaturally? Yes or no? When we pray in the natural, when we verbally declare the will of God in Jesus' name, do things happen supernaturally? Yes or no? Yes. Not everybody's answering, so I'm going to keep going. When we take these physical pieces of paper that have dead president's pictures on them and it's 10% of our income and we tie it to the local storehouse, it does something supernaturally happen, yes or no? The windows of heaven open up, part of bless. Okay. When we come to church physically, does something supernatural happen? Yes or no? When we take a step of faith and obey God in an area, does something happen supernaturally? Yes or no? So what are we supposed to do in the natural to unclog the supernatural wells of joy in our life? What did God create for us to do naturally to fix this problem supernaturally? Well, he had Isaac unclog them. Isaac's the one that out of every person on planet earth, God used Isaac to unclog the wells of joy that were stopped up by the enemy. Why is that significant? Does anybody know before I say it? Because Genesis 17, 19, God told him, you will name your son Isaac, which means laughter. Every time we laugh, we're unclogging a stone that the enemy is thrown into our well. The natural act of laughing, for heaven's sakes, watch Seinfeld or The Office or something. Watch a funny TikTok. Do something, but laugh a little bit. Smile. Okay, point number two is this. Small stuff. In the Song of Solomon 2.15, the little foxes is what spoils the vines. It's not, I want you to be aware, it's not the big things that steal our joy. Yes, the death of a loved one, you know, yes, your house burning down or losing a job, those things are rare. The things that we usually allow the enemy to clog up our well with are things like somebody doesn't return a text quick enough. Or your kids forgot their lunch and you got to leave work and take them lunch. Or you're behind a driver that doesn't know how to use an Excel lane. Which, by the way, if you're a young lady and you drive an SUV and have a boxer as a dog in the back and you were coming out of Azalea Lakes Boulevard this past week, I did not see your Solid Rock sticker until after I encouraged you to use the Excel lane. I apologize. Jesus loves you and so do I. Tornadoes and hurricanes get more news coverage, but in reality, termites do more damage. The children of Israel, they were on their way to the promised land. When they got there, Numbers 21, 4 says, they became much discouraged because of the trials, watch this, along the way. It didn't happen one big, one, one huge major event, and now we don't have the strength we need to fight, even though God said he'd give us the battle. The reason they didn't have the strength is because it happened along the way. Little by little, they didn't unclog their well. A few stones thrown in on Monday, a few more on Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, by the time Sunday came around, they didn't even want to come to church. They had lost all their strength, and it happened little by little by little. Ecclesiastes 3.22 says we were meant to enjoy work. Listen, if you don't enjoy your job, get a different job. You need, it'd be better to make less money and enjoy your work that you have to be at 40 hours than have a million dollars and you can't stand your job. I'm trying to teach my kids this because they're graduating from college. One's graduating next week from college, the other one in two years. And, and one of them's just looking at how much money can I make here and here. And I said, buddy, trust me, trust me, trust me. You would rather do something you love, somewhere that you can enjoy working with, people you enjoy working with. Uh, my boys, they love to tell stories of 
times that I have failed. They think it's the funniest thing, when, you know, because they, and this one time we were all in the minivan, all five kids were in the minivan, and we're going through Hardy's drive through when there was one on the bypass. It was maybe 15 years ago, whatever, 10 years ago. And, um, and we order all of our food, and we get to the window. And the guy behind the window says, we need you to pull forward so that we'll, you know, we'll bring your food out to you. Y'all, y'all know that happens, right? Well, I sh- I, let me just say this. I was wrong. I should have submitted to authority. I was totally wrong. I very kindly said, because there was nobody behind me. And sometimes if you pull up, they forget to bring your food. I have to go inside. 20 minutes later, oh, we're so sorry. Anyway, so I said, I'm not going to pull forward. I said, I'm going to sit right here until somebody comes up behind me, and then I'll pull forward. You would have thought I had talked about his mama or something. <laughs> he stuck his entire torso out of the window. His head was in our minivan, and I was like this. And he started doing this and screaming, and you've ruined my day, and you have no idea how hard this job is, and you won't pull forward, and I'm in charge, and if I say pull forward, you pull forward, spitting all over me. My kids are freaking out. Their eyes are this big. What's going on? It was about a 60-second speech of him yelling at the top of his lungs. He put his torso back in the window, and I just smiled and said, okay, we'll move forward. No big deal. We'll go forward. My kids said, we're going to leave now because we're not eating anything that they bring out to us, you know. But I thought this, I thought, I can't believe that man let little old me completely ruin his day and steal all of his joy. Can y'all believe that I have that much effect on somebody? Some of y'all are like, yes, we totally believe that you can ruin somebody's day. Genesis 29, Jacob met these two sisters, and uh, you don't have to put it up there yet. And um, they were, he saw them both the same, Rachel and Leah. And when he saw Rachel, he fell in love immediately. He didn't really care for Leah. Rachel was the one he wanted. Genesis 29, 17 says that Rachel was stunningly beautiful and voluptuous in form, but Leah had weak eyes and was dull looking. Now, I know what voluptuous in form and stunningly beautiful is, right? Living Myrtle Beach, I, you know, whatever. Okay, I didn't know what weak eyes and dull looking meant until I met my friend Mark. Now I know exactly what that is. <laughs> And so Rachel got the looks, right? So she's super happy and full of joy, and Leah was dull looking, so she was sad and upset. In verse 20, it says, Jacob loved Rachel and served Laban, her dad, for seven years to marry her, but it seemed like only a few days because of his love for her. Oh, isn't that so stupid? And so... So the night of the wedding, he's all excited, and and Jacob gets drunk. And the father, Laban, was a crook. And so he takes the older daughter, Leah, you know, weak eyes, and he covers her in the wedding gown, and and the veil was super thick. So he pushes Leah and Jacob into the tent to consummate their marriage. And Jacob's drunk. He don't know any better. The next morning, the sun comes up. Jacob opens up his eyes, and there's weak eyes staring right back at him. He was so upset, but now Leah's married. So now she's full of joy, and Rachel's discouraged and depressed on the inside. He goes to the father in verse 27. The father says, it's not the tradition to give the younger for the older. I'll give you Rachel. You got to work another seven years. Jacob agreed. So now Rachel's super happy that somebody would love her that much. And Leah's very, very upset. In verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he made her able to have children, but Rachel was barren. Leah had six boys for her husband. Now she is so excited and full of joy, and Rachel's barren. Now she's discouraged, and she's upset. I'm sure when people saw Leah around town, they thought, man, this woman's got it made. She gave her husband six boys. What a blessing that is. She must be so happy. What they didn't see was her inner depression 
Every night she'd go to God and pray, why won't my husband just love me a little bit more? God, please, is there something you can do? When people saw Rachel walking around voluptuous in form, they thought she's so beautiful, her husband loves her so much, she must be so full of joy. What they didn't see was what was going on on the inside. Every single night, Rachel's prayer was, God, I just want to have a baby. Why am I barren? Please, can you just give me one child? The point I'm making is whether you're Rachel or whether you're Leah, if we let our secret struggles steal our joy, we will end up enduring life rather than enjoying life. We all have secret struggles, right? We all have the things on the inside that the enemy knows takes our joy. We were not meant to endure life. We were meant to enjoy life. Trouble is inevitable, but misery is optional. If this were your last week to live, be honest, would the things that got you upset last week really upset you this week? The things that stole your joy, if you knew you had one week left to live, you know that flight, the famous flight, I think that the movie was with Tom Hanks where the, the, the plane landed on the Hudson, remember that? I was reading these interviews they did with the people a year later after that event. Now, when you're in a plane and it's going down and you're going to land in the middle of the Hudson, you really think your life is over, right? They're all praying the sinner's prayer, whatever they, you know, whatever they think. And so they landed, they're safe, and they're fine. Well, if you read the interviews, they all said the same thing a year later. They said, we never take a single day for granted anymore. They said, the things that used to bother us, steal our joy, we had to fix. They said, we don't even worry about it. One lady said she never listened to a bird sing until after that event. She said, now every day she walks outside and listens to bird sings. One of the fathers said he used to dread playing Legos with his kid every night. Now it's the thing he looks forward to more than anything else. Another lady said every day she was so stressed out about her weight. She was always trying to get to a certain weight and be a perfect weight. She said now she don't care about that at all. She said the best thing in her life is every night she eats a Pop-Tart. She says she eats it so slow and enjoys every single little bite. Isn't that how God made us to live? We're serving the creator of the universe. Like we're all going to heaven. That's enough to be full of joy. Ecclesiastes 3.22, the best thing we can do is enjoy today because we don't even know what tomorrow is going to be like. Exodus 16.4 says, the Lord said, I'm going to send you bread from heaven every day. You go out and you gather enough for that day. That way I can see if you obey me and trust me. So he told him, go out and gather enough for one day. Now some people, they were afraid they wouldn't have enough for the next day. They didn't know if God was going to provide tomorrow. So they would get more than what they needed. And every time they did what they got, it rotted by the next morning. The point was, is they were always trying to figure out tomorrow today that'll steal your joy always worried about tomorrow always worried about what you got to do next week always worried about paying the mortgage fixing this kids doing that <clears throat> we were meant to be full of joy now Romans 5 3 be full of joy now not after you lose weight not after your kids are out of diapers not after you retire not after you figure out all your problems not even after you're free of whatever addiction or sin you're battling well if I can get through this then I'll be full of joy. Nope, then you'll still be full of sin with something else. I, I didn't put it up here, and I'm going to say it. I didn't even put it up here. There's a scripture, it's in Ezekiel, and it says that in the presence of God, we should not sweat. I think that's a, a symbolism, meaning serving God should not be something we're always struggling to do. 
I know we have struggles. I know we have problems. I know we do. Serving God should be something we love to do. That's where we get relief. That's where we get relief. That we get to serve somebody who knows everything inside of us, all the crap inside of us, still loves us, and we get to serve him. We get to do it. It's a blessing to do it. Um, I told you, you know, we help different missions and missionaries and that kind of thing. One guy who we've been helping, and I, I, and I, I email and we talk, um, about 10 years ago or so, he left India, and here's why. Uh, his family was Muslim, everybody was Muslim, and one night he had a dream as a young man. Jesus comes to him in his dream and tells him he's going to be a Christian minister. He wakes up the next morning, he tells his family, I want to go get a holy Bible that the Christians use, because Jesus told me in a dream I'm, I'm going to be a minister. Well, his family disowned him, and his sister turned him into the Muslim police, and they were on their way to the house to murder him right in front of his family, and the whole family was okay that it was going to happen. So he flees out of his house, right? Listen to this. He spends 10 years traveling by foot from India to England, living out of trash cans, living in the woods. The only thing he had with him was a Christian Bible. He didn't get to go to school. He missed 10 years of school. He doesn't know math, science, you know, history, none of that stuff. All he had was a Bible. He spent the past 10 years memorizing, listen, over one thousand scriptures he has memorized and that's all the education he has for 10 years he's been traveling through countries trying to get through you know illegally of course going from one country to the next he finally in the past year made it to England has safe passes he has a job he wants to come to, I actually have someone who's going to sponsor him to come to Myrtle Beach he wants to come to our high school even though he's in his 20s so he can get a high school diploma then he wants to go to seminary here's the point I'm making he is the happiest man I've ever talked to man boy he is the happiest boy I've ever talked to he is so full of joy living out of garbage cans eating whatever he can eat finding somebody that he can trust I'm a Christian are you gonna kill me you know finding somebody he can stay with from night to night to night he's as happy as he can be we are a hundred times more blessed than him we are not being persecuted by being in this room no one's trying to turn you in to kill you for serving Jesus and he's happier than anybody I've ever met. That tells me it's not a circumstantial thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Point number three, and this is another physical thing the Bible says to do, is sing. I'm going to make a statement, and I don't know if it's going to carry a lot of weight. I hope it does. If I could get all of you to sing during praise and worship, I think a revival would hit this church. Amen. I, I, with all my, I think that is the actual answer. I know there's all kinds of problems. Da, da, da. I think if we could simply... If everyone would simply sing, I had lunch with a, um, an older gentleman who's been coming to church here this past week, and he loves to go out and dance. You know, he goes ballroom dancing and stuff, and I, I can't dance, but, you know, I love watching people dance. He said, here's what I teach everybody. He said, when you dance, you dance like nobody else is in the room but you. Y'all remember that Seinfeld where Elaine was learning how to dance? You know, that's what I would look like if nobody was in the room. But um, here's what I want to say. We should sing on Sunday morning to God like there's nobody in the room but you and God. I promise you, and I don't know if it'll, I, I give you my word, a revival would break out here that's been greater than anything in Myrtle Beach if Solid Rock would sing. Because it's our pride that calls, well, I don't know if I know the words. They're on the screen. I don't know the tune. God don't care. Even if you did know the tune, you'd probably hit wrong notes anyway. It's about you and God. And when the music's loud enough, no one can really hear you, but even if they could, it doesn't matter. It's you and God. 
And when you love someone, you're not ashamed of it. Jeremiah 33, 11, they shall be happy and sing sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving in the house of the Lord. And here's, that's, the, that's the natural part. Here's supernatural. God said, I'll reverse the captivity and restore prosperity that was lost. The sacrifice means that we're not going to feel like it. That's what, if we felt like it, it'd be easy. It's a sacrifice because we're going to come in here with the rain pouring outside, bad things going on. I hope the sermon applies to me. All these things. Who cares about all that? Just sing like it's only you and God in the room. Psalm 1611, in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. Well, how do we get to his presence? Psalms 22:3. he inhabits the praises of his people. Isaiah 61.3, he sent them the garment of praise for the spirit of depression and oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise will destroy the spirit of depression. The spirit of depression cannot live under the garment of praise. And it's not my praise that's going to get rid of your depression. It's your praise that's going to get rid of your depression. It's, it, listen, the Bible's full of you do this naturally, God does this supernaturally. I'll close with this true story about this little bird who lived in a little bird cage. It was the happiest little bird in the world. Always singing, singing, singing. Night and day, he'd sit on his swing and sing, sing, sing. He had no problems. He was fed. He was watered. He loved his life, loved his little cage, just singing, singing, and singing. One day, the owner went to clean out the cage, and she was using one of those vacuum hose things, you know, and she's sucking up the stuff. Y'all already know why I didn't even. Let me finish the story, okay? Can I finish the story? <laughs> We're talking about patience at some point in this series. She was cleaning out the bottom of the cage, and, and she reached over. The phone rang. She reached over to answer the phone. She said, hello, hello, talk, put it back down. When she looked down, the bird was gone. So she looked all around the house. Where could my bird be? And it dawned on her what must have happened. When she leaned over to the right, the hand went up, and the bird got sucked down the vacuum cleaner hose. She runs in there, opens up the vacuum. It's, it's listen, it's going to end okay, okay? I'll just say this. The bird's not dead, Okay. She opened up the vacuum cleaner bag, and that bird was all disheveled and nasty, and she, she brushed him off and wiped him down, and she sat him back on his swing, and she said, the funniest thing happened. He never sang again. Oh, I know, poor thing. I could change the story for next service. He would just sit on that swing, and he'd just stare off into space. He lost his song. That happens to us throughout the week. Everything's fine on Sunday morning. We leave church. We're in a good mood. And then Monday morning happens. And then Tuesday afternoon, and the kids mess up on Wednesday, and you fell into that sin on Thursday, and we get sucked down the vacuum cleaner hose of life, so to speak. Right? Here's what God wants to do for you. Psalms 40, verse 2. He wants to pull you out of a lonely and horrible pit. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to put a new song in your mouth. Now, he wants to pull you out of the pit, but here's what your part. You've got to sing that new song you got to do it whether you feel like it or not. Now listen, the Holy Spirit fruit is not based on how you feel. It's based on being connected to the vine every single day. So how can I have joy all the time? You worship God like your oxygen depends on it. Give up all the whatever. whatever just, just get rid of all the stones. Right? If you got to turn off social media, do it. If you got to stop watching the news, if you got to stop talking to this person, whatever it is, you need your joy or you'll have no strength at all this week. So Solomon, I'll close with one scripture. He, he tried everything to be happy. That's what men, even more than women, men, we have this, this inner, inner passion to, we want to be happy. 
We'll do whatever it takes to be happy. You know, sometimes women, they can, they can be content and happy kind of no matter what. They're, they're better at, you know, that. But men, we got to find the way to be happy. And so we, if I have this job, I'll be happy. If I pay off my house, I'll be happy. With Solomon, he tried everything. He tried money. And he was the richest man in the world. And God actually says he'll be the richest who ever lived. And uh, he wasn't happy. So then he tried uh, popularity, prestige. He was so popular, people traveled around the world just to hear him talk. And that didn't make him happy. So then he thought he'd try women. He married over 900 women. Now, why any fool in the world would think that'll make him happy? Let's just be glad he was the richest man in the world, okay? Or he would have been broke as a joke. But anyway, man, alimony for all of them or something. Anyway, and so 900 and something women, and he still wasn't happy. It wasn't until he got toward the end of his life that he figured it out. And I hope that this isn't toward the end of your life till you figure this out. He said in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, after trying all these things to be happy, there's only one thing left to say. Worship God, for this is the purpose of man and the foundation of all happiness. That's the answer. I wish it was some, you know, some more spiritual, deep, deep, deep thing. You know, oh, we got to get in. Just worship God, man. Just worship God. It'll change your life. Amen? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer today. I want to pray for everybody that's lost their joy. I want to pray for everybody that's been sitting on that swing and just staring off into space. You know, you, you, feel, like, you feel like, man, life is just so blah. If I just had something more exciting or interesting. And when we read the Bible, we read about these huge exploits that these people went on really that was just one day of their life Shadrach, Meshach, that was one day the rest of the day was just like you and me go to church, go to work, take kids to school, Daniel and the lion's den one day Noah lived to be 950 949 days years, he did the same thing one year was kind of interesting other than that just the same thing life is very routine and if you're looking for some event or vacation, or some answer to get joy, it's not going to happen. The answer is the Holy Spirit. And it's time we stop being deceived into thinking our joy is based on the people around us and the things around us and the money in the bank. So if you're here today and you feel like you have lost your strength and you realize it's because you lost some of your joy, can you lift your hand so I can just pray for you real quick? Okay, Lord, I ask that your joy fill this room right now. In other words, I ask that your Holy Spirit come into this place. Lord, give us a sense of humility. So when we come in here, singing is simply like just telling you how much we love you. God, I ask that you bring laughter back to the homes in this room that have their hands lifted. Bring laughter back into the atmosphere of their homes. Bring joy back in the workplace. Let your Holy Spirit fill their car when they're driving. God, teach us the importance of smiling and laughing because we serve you. Teach us the importance of keeping our joy and not letting anything, anything get into our well that isn't from you. Lord, I thank you for renewing a spirit of happiness as we enjoy going to work, as we enjoy serving you, as we enjoy greeting people on Sunday morning as we enjoy ushering, as we enjoy security, as we enjoy teaching the kids, as we enjoy singing, as we enjoy playing, as we enjoy vacuuming.
as we enjoy cleaning. Lord, our life is not about us. It's now all about you. Solomon figured out the secret. Now we got it as well. Worship you like our oxygen depends on it. I thank you, God, for renewing a spirit of joy in our life today. I thank you, Lord, for bringing laughter back into the home, into the families. Lord, relationships in this room that have been, um, that have been hurt or that have been split, I ask, Lord, that you let joy be the thing that brings them back. From parents to children, children to parents. Let laughter fill their hearts. Lord, we thank you right now for doing what only you can do. We thank you that the, the, the fruit of joy comes from the Holy Spirit and nobody and nothing else. So as we tap into you, you produce it in us. We ask these things right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.